This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. I want to introduce you to the best gift ever, SockPanda.com. They're a monthly awesome sock subscription that will get you noticed and help start a conversation. The Sock Panda offers original designs for men, women, and kids ages three and up. And even better, when you sign up for a subscription, the SockPanda.com donates socks to someone in need. As of September 2017, the company has donated nearly 100,000 socks to homeless shelters, low-income senior citizens, hospitals, and the underprivileged classrooms throughout the country. Sign up today at SockPanda.com, and what I'm going to give you is 15% off your order, 100 words 15. That's the number 100 words 15 for 15% off your first order. Trust me, this is super fun if you get this for your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, or your friends. They'll love it. They'll be like, hey, this is cool, and it's the gift that keeps on giving, and you're going to look cool, and they're always going to be reminded of you when they put their cool socks on. So SockPanda.com, 15% off, 100 words, 15. Use that promo code. All right, now on with the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less. I'm your host, Ray Harkins. We are talking independent music, the lifeblood that runs through us, and all of the exciting people that make it up, whether it's, you know, playing bands, whether it's like, you know, doing some creative, other creative stuff besides creating the music, what's, you know, working in the music industry and whatever. This is what we got for you. And this week, is Chris Browder. He plays under the moniker Mansions, and he's been doing it for uh, quite some time. And this was a convo that I I didn't know what to expect because I wasn't a super fan of what he has put out. It was like, okay, cool. Like, I was aware of Mansions. I knew that they had done some touring and, you know, knew a little bit of his backstory. But once him and I uh, hopped on the uh, beautiful old Skype machine, it was, uh, it was great. It was such a a uh, positive look at the uh you know artistic freedoms that putting yourself in a quote unquote normal life can give you in regards to the creative outputs and just the fact that uh you know he can be creative in the context of music and still be connected to the real world so and more more on him in a moment let's get some business fun out of the way and I won't even call it business I just want to tell you about a cool website no echo .net. They are our online cool guy partners. They put out a bunch of cool stuff on a regular basis in regards to, um, yeah, punk, hardcore, anything heavy. That's what they're covering. And they do uh, great profiles. So you should check out noecho.net if you already aren't and making it part of your regular interneting routine. <laughs> interneting? Right. Uh, what else do I got for you? I am... Uh, I, I wouldn't say I'm in a panic mode, but I definitely am in like, oh my gosh, I sometimes bite off more than I can chew. Um, traveling to San Francisco this weekend, and then the next week I am going to Canada to play those shows The Taken, which that just uh, felt like it just jumped up, jumped right up on me. But yeah, it'll be super fun. I'm very excited to, uh, to do that and hang out with a lot of old friends. And if you are in that area, please come out and say hi. And I would like to meet you if I already don't know you. So please come do that. We play Toronto twice. We play Hamilton. We play Montreal. All those fun cities. And I, uh, I can't wait to eat all of the good vegan food in those places. Yum, yum. Um, and then what else do I got for you? Oh, we, we are releasing Indeed. It's confirmed because I have it recorded. Our year-end episode, which uh, with my good friends Jeremy Bolm and Joey Cahill, I'm 
it was a great episode. I'm I'm just very much looking forward to sharing it with all of you. Our top ten records of the year, and it's always one of the highly trafficked episodes of the show. So. Hopefully, are uh, you looking forward to that? And we're releasing it on December thirteenth, so in about two and a, two and a half weeks or so. Two, yeah, two weeks, I think. So, um, yeah. And like I said, Chris Browder mentions he, um, yeah, he just has a very healthy perspective on what it's like to be a quote unquote working musician, and uh, we get really uh, really in depth with that, and it was uh, it was fun because um, we also talked about the South because uh, he was raised in the South, and. Um, yeah, just kind of the identity that is wrapped up in playing music and then sometimes being known as one thing, but then, you know, people know you as a, as a different human being. And I just really, I wouldn't say metaphysical, but we, we get in deep. It was great. So, um, yeah, that's what I got. So, Chris, here he is, and I'll talk to you after the episode is obviously over. Because I always tell you who the guest is the following week, right? So you should pay attention, all right? All right, now here Chris is, and uh, yeah, Mark, you You know, admittedly, Mansions and your music has always existed kind of in my periphery. Like, I've I've heard of you. I, you've toured with many of my friends. Like, and but I, I just haven't taken a deep dive into you and you know, you, basically who you are. And it's one of those. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where I'm always. Um, when I when you do have to kind of reckon with that, where it's just like, oh yeah, like okay, finally I'm gonna get around to checking out this artist or person or whatever, um, and then you listen to it and you're just like, hey, what was I waiting for? Like, <laughs> you know, it's like I'm sure you've run into the same situation where you're just like, oh yeah, I haven't listened to that band or whatever, and then you do, and you're just like, hey, this is pretty good. Like, I, I could see why people were t- were telling me about that. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally have that experience with other bands, and and we actually hear that a good amount from people where I think we were sort of like on the side of a certain scene where people didn't always, you know, get around checking it out, but that's great that you did now. Yeah, no, totally. And I mean, it definitely with my, you know, a friendship with, uh, you know, Zach, who's put out your, your, your stuff, yeah. the timing and everything. Um, but you know, I, something that, that struck me with, uh, you is, you know, were you born and raised in Louisville or is that kind of just where you ended up after your parents, you know, moved there through other circumstances? I was uh, born in a different town in Kentucky, a, a smaller town, but moved to Louisville when I was like four. And so that was really where I grew up until, you know, going off to college and then moving to Seattle after that. Okay, got it. Yeah, because Louis- Louisville has always been such a, I, 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 I like worship at the altar of that music scene and just <laughs> all of the other cool um, intricacies behind that, just because I think it's a, I don't know, I mean, it's such a unique town because, you know, clearly it's in the South. But, you know, and most people view the South as like a a non-cultural hub in many different ways. Um, But Louisville just always has stood out where it's like, oh, yeah, it's similar to like Athens, Georgia, where it's just like, oh, yeah, a ton of good music has come from there. Um, Did I I guess did you did you retroactively recognize that or did you kind of recognize that as you started to, you know, become aware of your own musical tastes and stuff like that? It was. I mean, it was a weird thing because there's definitely like that history with Louisville with like Slint and like initial records and um, stuff like that. But like that didn't necessarily mean a lot to me when I was growing up. Um, But 
like when I was in high school, there happened to be just like a really strong underground, uh, you know, punk hardcore kind of scene. So there was just like the ability to have shows at all sorts of places and that, you know, like a really strong, like basement show scene. Um, so like, I was definitely aware that it was like, Oh, we we have this kind of community in Louisville that, you know, doesn't exist everywhere. And even like a few years after that, it seemed like that had sort of died out in Louisville. And I think now it's coming back some, um, but it, it just seemed like, Oh, there just happened to be all these people who, want to play in bands right now and and we had a couple of bands like uh this band called emmanuel um that signed to vagrant and was sort of getting big where it was like oh you could be a band from louisville and like actually do something yeah no emmanuel is a, a really interesting example because i do think most of the stuff that existed um prior to that you know was was successful in a you know, a, a very insular system, you know, totally. Yeah. But then, you know, you didn't, you never looked to, um, you know, Louisville for the sort of, you know, younger warp tour ish sort of bands to like come up, even though, you know, like you said, they, they existed, but you know, none of them really came up until, yeah. Emmanuel really, you know, took, took the reins and I'm sure people were just like, wait, where are you guys from Louisville? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. And even like when I look back on a lot of the bands that were around, like, yeah, it wasn't these kind of like scene sort of like dumb bands. It, it was like a lot of bands that sounded like the Jesus lizard and right. stuff like that. Where at the time I was like, Oh, this is sort of annoying. All these global bands sound the same, but looking back, it's like, that's awesome. that They all sounded like that, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's, you, yeah, that's totally true. Yeah. Emmanuel is just such a, and honestly, I forgot it. I forgot that they came up in Louisville until you mentioned that. It was like, Oh yeah. Like that's right. It's just not, uh, it's yeah. It's just not common. Yeah, totally. Um, and so then, uh, you know, what sort of person did you find yourself, uh, you know, being as a kid, you know, getting raised in a town that, you know, has some cultural things going on, um, but, you know, was also, um, you know, very different from, you know, the coasts or, you know, other, other cities as far as, you know, maybe their own, you know, the political atmosphere or just the way that, uh, the city kind of carried themselves. Um, you know, where did you kind of fit in? It's, it's hard to say. Cause it's like, I only knew my experience, you know, like I, I didn't, I didn't care about New York or California or anything like that. Um, but like being in high school, like I went to a really small high school, uh, and it was cool cause it was just like, everyone was pretty nice, like in my grade and everyone was interested in like bands and playing in bands. Um, but it wasn't, um, it was fairly open-minded with stuff, you know, like, like people were all into like, you know, get up kids and alkaline trio and stuff like that. But like, you know, I also got like really into Ryan Adams and it wasn't like that was weird or anything like that. Um, but so it, it it just seemed like a good place to grow up and it, it wasn't, it didn't have a lot of the kind of like negative aspects that people associate with the South. Um, but it, you know, it just seemed like a good place to hang out with your friends and, and, and play music. Yeah. Well, I think too, like anytime you see a town that is attached to a university, you're always going to have the transient element of people from so many different places. 
bringing their own personal and cultural touchstones and references so that the city is going to be, you know, undoubtedly affected by that. And, uh, that, you know, that's why you can see, you know, whatever I mentioned, Athens, Georgia, it's the same idea where it's like, you know, these, these cities in the South that have, you know, Gainesville, Florida, like all these places that have huge universities, you know, end up being these places that are just kind of like, oh yeah, this isn't, you know, because most people think of the South as just some, you know, some dude hanging out on the porch with a shotgun or something like, you know, some, whatever, some random archetype, but you know, that, the, that doesn't always, that, that's not always the case clearly uh, when you have all these people coming into the town. Yeah. Like it, it, it felt cultured for sure. And there was like, you know, a really cool independent movie theater um, that, you know, you could go like see stuff that wasn't playing at the big, like, you know, Cineplex thing um, and like cool independent restaurants and coffee shops. And like, it, it seemed pretty um, encouraging and maybe just like because the cost of living is so low there. Um, like it seems like people can kind of take a chance in a different way or, or maybe that independent businesses can survive in a different way. Um, yeah. Totally. It, it all just seemed very welcoming. Like even when I was starting to play shows and I was playing stuff that was like so much more like melodic and softer and like not cool at all compared to the other bands that were playing. But like, you know, I could still play those shows and like, I don't think everyone was like into it, but they still, you know, let me on the bill and be a part of the scene. You know, it was like, um, it, it just didn't feel very judgmental in a nice way. That's a very good point. Cause I do think that a lot of that exists, um, in certain scenes, that, uh, you know, don't exist in other places where it's just like, you know, everything seems to be happening at once, you know, where it's like, you know, maybe due to the, even though, like you said, there's a lot of people that were excited about playing in bands, you know, sometimes you were, uh, left to be like, well, I, you know, there's a hardcore show tonight, so I guess I'm going to play that. Or, you know, the hardcore band's like, well, you know, yeah, I guess we'll play with this, you know, emo indie band. Like, you know, it's fine because it's a show and like, that's, that is what it is. And, um, it, it, I mean, that, yes, exists in so many other cities, but um, in some, it definitely is just, like, pure function that it happens like that. Yeah, exactly. And, and even, like, the high school I went to was, like, this small private school, so there's a bunch of, like, rich kids from, like, the east side of Louisville. And then, um, you know, we were hanging out all the time with, you know, kids from the public school in southern Indiana that's, like, definitely a less affluent area and just, it's, like, mixing of like cultures in a way and, and everyone getting along and like, you know, seeing people who were like, you know, in these like intense hardcore bands hanging out with like these girls wearing Abercrombie shirts or whatever, but it just like being fine and not, you know, not being weird at all. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Include, right. It's inclusive. It's like, Hey, if you're here, there's a reason you're here. You found out about it. So like, cool, that's fine. You're here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so your, what was your family structure like? Like mom and dad in the house, brothers and sisters? Yeah, mom and dad, uh, older brother and sister. Um, yeah, like we all kind of played instruments when we were younger. Like I started playing cello um, and like, you know, we would play at church and that kind of thing. And, and my mom played uh, piano at church. Um, but yeah, it, like it was a good, encouraging family environment. We're definitely like being creative uh was like a value that my parents cared about that's cool and what, what sort of a uh, strain of religion was the uh, the church 
Uh, it was like evangelical Christian. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, and did that, uh, I mean, I presume that rubbed off on you and is that something that, you know, you still kind of, uh, adhere to, or is that something, you know, you've, uh, I guess evolved in different ways. Yeah. It's not, um, you know, it was a big part of my life for a long time and like going to youth group and all that kind of stuff. And it wasn't like, you know, one day just some event happened that then like, I wasn't into that anymore. Sure. Um, but it sort of just gradually faded out where I, you know, I think I'm pretty thoroughly agnostic these days. Um, but yeah, it's, it's still something, you know, still something that like I think about a lot. Um, you know, that stuff like shapes your, your worldview pretty, uh, intensely and not always in ways that like, you know, you're conscious of, Mm -hmm. um, like, yeah. Um, and you know, and, and I had a good experience with the church or, you know, it was, it was positive and, um, you know, my parents are very like thoughtful, um, Christians and like, you know, legitimate like they're not just kind of like religious zealots or something like that right yeah no that's cool because i mean i i like when people you know because it's such a you know it's such a loaded topic for so many people to discuss um just because you know there's so much baggage that comes along with it what you know i mean the same thing could be said for any other philosophical you know line in the sand that people draw where it's like i am this but i am not this um and you know especially when you're talking about something that your you know belief has evolved over time to where it's you know you don't want to be the guy just being like oh yeah those those dum-dums that believe that like i believe that when i was a kid but i don't anymore and you're just like well i I don't believe that anymore but i don't look at those people and think that they are stupid because they believe what they believe you know you're like i get where they're coming from yeah totally and like you know it can be used in a negative way for sure but um you know i think there's a lot of positive aspects about it but yeah, it, it's like the kind of thing where, uh, like, like I still like get afraid to to talk about it because I feel like I'm gonna like get a lightning bolt you know, <laughs> taking me out. Totally. Yeah. Like that's the way that it still feels like, or, or like if things aren't going right for me, it's like maybe this is because you know I don't like go to church anymore or whatever. Right, right. Like it's just still this kind of underlying like fear there, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it is one of those things that, you know, no one has, I mean, people would obviously like to think that they have a really solid idea of, you know, where we're all going. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're all kind of taking stabs in the dark <laughs> when you do, like you said, when you do feel like things are, you know, going astray, you're like, well, maybe this, this path that I was on isn't, isn't the path that I should be on, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and like, I'm really into the idea of like, judging things based on how useful they are. Um, and I think like religion is really useful for a lot of people in a lot of different ways, like just like psychologically where, you know, I can't, uh, I can't shit on that, you know? Um, totally. And so, yeah. and so what you're, um, you know, cause you, you played in some, uh, bands before, you know, the moniker of mansions and you started to create music, uh, you know, using that, um, what was your first kind of, you know, band experiences and, um, you know, kind of getting out there and playing shows and stuff like that. So I started playing bass in middle school cause my, uh, best friend had just learned guitar and wanted to play in a band. And, uh, you know, we would get together every Friday and eat pizza and practice, um, I think we were called like the fiasco boys or something like that. 
Great name. But, great name. Yeah, yeah but it, it was, I mean, it was cool. I was like immediately enamored with the idea of recording. Like I would have us, you know, record into a tape player and then maybe try to like overdub stuff or like, um, I was into like editing videos at the time too. And so I would use like video editing software to like combine tracks and, um, like, yeah, that was kind of my first experience of like, Oh, this is, this is fun. And I remember like one day when we stumbled across the chords from, uh, like smells like teen spirit. And I remember us playing that and just being like, Oh my God, this sounds exactly like it. This is so cool. Um, but so we did that and then I don't think we really started playing shows until then I was in another band with a couple older kids and we would play at some, you know, battle the bands and at people's houses and, and stuff like that. And it was sort of just like a rock band, <laughs> you know, there's a certain like genre of music when you're kind of an age before you like know what musical genres are, where it's just like rock music <laughs> in sort of a bad way. Sure. Um, but so we did that and we were playing, you know, with a lot of other, like, uh, you know, more like hardcore bands and that type of thing. And, and it, then that turned into me wanting to, to be able to write songs and do my own stuff. Um, so I, I started a project where I was just, uh, writing and recording and playing everything myself. Um, and then I would play shows like acoustic. Uh, but yeah, it sort of started this idea of like, Hey, I can just like play everything and record and put out as much as I want um, and do it in that way. That's really cool because I, I mean, clearly that's a through line, and uh, you know I've noticed in other places that um, you know people are you know are, that are fans of you and you know enjoy what you do are. are everyone is super nerdy about the questions they ask you because they're all like, dude, talk to me about your pedals and like, tell me about your recording. And like, you know, clearly that's something that has been a passion of yours for quite some time. And it's just, uh, it's cool to see that people, um, you know, latch onto that and realize that that is something that, you know, you, uh, take pride in, which is cool. Yeah. That's always the, um, yeah, the questions I'm most excited about is when it's that kind of nerdier stuff. Cause that. Like me, I like playing shows fine. Um, I like writing songs a lot, but the thing I like most is the like um, arranging songs and fleshing them out and recording them. And so anything that's talking about all that gear or the tricks or pedals or whatever, that's like right in my sweet spot. That's a, that's amazing. So basically, you uh, you just utilize the fact that you uh, play in a band to be able to uh, have more discussions with people about equipment <laughs> yeah. and, and recording processes. Yeah, basically, yeah. But it's funny because like like I used to record some other bands when I was in high school, but I was just never. I think I was always kind of too nervous or anxious about it um, to do a great job, and so like I've never done much of like working with other people as far as recording them or like producing or anything like that. Um, and I think now I might be better equipped, uh, psychologically to, to do it. Um, but it's funny cause I just like love doing it and I'm obsessed with doing it, but like just for myself, that's all I really care about. Right. Right. 
Well, that, that's interesting because, I mean, I do think that it takes, um, you know, like you said, you like playing shows fine, but, you know, it sounds like push came to shove. If you never had to, like, you know, go out and play live again, you, uh, you know, th- there are certain elements I'm sure you would miss, but you'd be like, well, it's okay as long as I can still write and record. Yeah, yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. Like, for me, playing shows, the, the one thing that feels important about it is that it sort of closes a loop as far as like, you know, you make this song and it's kind of not complete until you've played it for people. And, uh, you know, you get their kind of more visceral reaction. Um, and so like whenever we're not playing shows, I can kind of convince myself that like, oh, I don't really care about playing shows and then we'll play one and I'll, and I'll feel like, Oh yeah, this was an important thing to do. Um, but in the hierarchy of, band things it's not like like i'm not you know loving the energy of being on stage and you know rocking out like that's just not um where my heart is i guess all right real talk this sponsor i cannot stress enough you have to try it out so texture like have you ever walked by a newsstand and like saw a magazine and you're like that looks really cool, but like, you know, you didn't have time to stop or you didn't really re- reflect on it any further than that. Like those few minutes of just like, oh, that, that looks cool. That cover story looks interesting. Next time, remember texture. So with the texture app, not only do you get a peek, you get the whole magazine plus unlimited access to over 200 additional premium titles like Time, The Atlantic, The New Yorker and Wired. And right now you can do this all for free. So just imagine having all of your favorite magazines at your fingertips and their back issues anytime, anywhere. So you can start your free trial of Texture by going to texture.com slash words. And then if you choose to continue, the listeners of this show will get Texture for just $10 a month. That's over 30% off the listed price. And dude, $10 a month for unlimited reading, that is an unbelievable deal. There's also great gift options available for the holiday season. So please go to texture.com slash words and start your free trial today. Like I said, this is amazing. Basically, I don't subscribe to any magazines anymore. I have none of that clutter, but I have all of the cool content and stuff from so many different magazines. Like I said, I was able to die. I never read The Atlantic. I knew that that was a very, very cool magazine that I would probably be interested in, sampled it out, and I was like, yo, I'm in. So it's great. And the app is like the easiest thing to use. I cannot stress this enough. Try it out. You'll love it. And then you'll be a subscriber just like me. So go to texture.com slash words. Please enjoy that free trial and then dive into the subscription. Trust me. This is great stuff. So texture.com slash words. Do it up. Okay. Now here's the rest of the show. It's funny because that is something that I think a lot of people get attracted to playing in bands and creating music as a vehicle to, you know, get on the road and like tour and experience that side of things. Whereas, you know, a lot of people, there was, I mean, an example that I witnessed in my own life was the, you know, the band that I played in for years, I, the guitarist that played with us the last, you know, three or four years, I could tell where it's just like touring was cool, but it took a lot out of him. And like, you know, just seeing that on a person, it's like, it, it's kind of hard to see that, you know, cause you're just like, damn, like, I know you like to create, but like this whole bargain of like being exhausted and traveling in a van, like, you know, <laughs> I could tell that's not your thing. And like, you feel bad, you know? So it's like, there's that, 
that, that trade-off that occurs. And, uh, you know, sometimes it takes people years to realize that, or it's cool that you were able to, you know, kind of navigate both worlds and not, you know, completely burn yourself out. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I, I can relate to your bandmates experience where like, you know, we've had people in the band and toured with other people where you can just tell like, uh, Oh yeah, this is what you should be doing. You know, like you live for being on tour, um, where like so much of being on tour, like, isn't, isn't about, uh, playing music at all. You know, like maybe you get the, the, I really enjoyed the 30 minutes of playing the show. Um, but the rest of the time, yeah, it's just, you know, certain personalities are more suited for it. For, for us, it was always weird too, because like the band was my thing. And so I was always tour managing us. And so there was just like no downtime at all. It was just like, uh, I was just always stressed out touring. Like our last kind of big tour we did, we at least had uh, a friend of ours selling merch and then I was like, oh my God, like touring isn't so bad. This is, this is fun. We're getting to go eat dinner and like, you know, right. Right. And not be like embarrassingly sitting at the merch table, like waiting for people to come up. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Cause yeah, it is, it is taxing when you are, um, you know, it, maybe your personality d- doesn't dictate that. Or like you said, that isn't uh, a, a routine that you end up enjoying. Um, and so, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a, a bargain that I, I don't think a lot of people consider. I mean, obviously because you're, you know, 12 years old when you start to like maybe develop the idea of like playing in a band or whatever. So, you know, you've got no perspective on it, but that, you know, you might be in the middle of it and be like, Oh wow, this isn't, yeah, this isn't what it's cracked up to be. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely a dream of mine. And then we were doing it and it was like, Oh, this is cool. But I like, you know, going out to eat on the weekends and like (laughs) sleeping in my own bed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I guess I I was going to ask this later, but it seems like an appropriate time to bring it up now where, um, you know, do you feel that, uh, the, the, the fact that, you know, you don't exist in a typical sort of music industry, uh, you know, every 18 months you have to release a record and then tour for, you know, nine months out of the year or whatever. Um, because you don't exist in that, um, do you think, I mean, I know you don't know the other side of things, but do you think that is able to help, I guess, kind of, you know, influence and be able to, uh, stoke your creativity? Um, because, you know, I know sometimes people that are on tour nine or 10 months out of the year, their, you know, second or third record is just about them being on tour or whatever, you know, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. Um, and that's something that I think about a lot. Um, like I I was just doing music full time for a while, you know, like there wasn't really any money involved or anything like that, but it was just, um, you know, I didn't have a day job. We were just touring and writing and, uh, it took a lot out of me just as far as the, like, here's music the thing that like I like to do the most and now I'm having to worry about if people are going to like it and buy it so that I can pay rent and that kind of thing um and it it puts a pressure on it that's that's weird and um I don't think it's conducive to being creative and you know taking chances and that kind of thing and then the other side of that, you know, like you were mentioning, I'm, I'm really interested in the idea of like what makes bands stop being good, you know, where they seem to sort of inevitably, uh, like fade away at a certain point. Um, and I think a lot of it does have to do with 
being caught in that cycle and where you don't have enough time to just be like living normal life and having normal experiences and, and thinking about things. Um, and you're just in this touring, writing, touring, writing sort of world. Um, and I don't think that's, that's good. Uh, where like, I do feel pretty lucky in a certain weird way that it's like, well, we never got that successful to have that problem. So I can just keep writing songs like as if we're a new band, um, just all the time. Which, which does seem liberating in a certain way. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I I, I couldn't agree with you more because yeah, it does. You know, you you reckon, especially if you pay attention to a band or an artist, you know, very closely, and you recognize when they do hit that wall, either just from a sheer fatigue standpoint. Um, you know, even bands that are, you know, ostensibly really really large you might look at them and, and be like oh wow like you know they're they've got a, a wealth of material to to work with or whatever uh, from a songwriting perspective but then you know you, if you were a fly on the wall in that room you, you're probably seeing a completely different <laughs> scenario of just like what the hell do we write about dude like our our life is good right now like <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where to go like you know i don't i, I just don't know where where we're pulling influence from yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then I think along with that, there's like this sort of muscle memory when they've, you know, written so many songs and performing them night after night where like, I think it's probably very easy for a band at that level to like write like a pretty good song, you know, and like arrange it in a way that like feels like pretty impactful and then like record it, you know, with an expensive budget and then like, yeah, it sounds good. And it's like, it's all kind of, too easy um to make it like good enough that you don't have that struggle of like boundaries and um just the sort of like problem solving aspect that i think is kind of essential for for making like like really good stuff yeah no absolutely that makes sense um and so when you um you know because would you say that the tour that you did with a uh, lot of dispute and pianos was kind of your your the largest i guess tour you've done to date um or yeah yeah we uh we did one tour with taking back sunday that you know was like the biggest as far as like the size of the crowds and that type of thing mm-hmm. um but it wasn't as long as the lot of speed one though and the the lot of speed tour was the one where it for us, it most felt like, oh yeah, this is clicking. People are responding well. The crowds were, you know, uh, like people who were interested in finding out about new bands, which was cool. Sure, absolutely. Um, and I, I guess maybe comparing and contrasting both of those tours, because you know, I'm sure Taking Back Sunday, like you said, was a a, a larger tour um, as far as attendance is concerned. Um, you know, did you? Um, I guess, did you prefer one over the other? Uh, I mean, I'm guessing that the more, you know, smaller crowd sizes, even though they were still substantial, was maybe easier for you or more manageable? Or is it both, they're both just kind of, you know, different shades of the same, uh, of the same color? Yeah, I mean, like when you're an opening band, I feel like it's, it's a different thing where it's like you're just trying to win people over like that's kind of your goal is going out there assuming nobody has heard of you before and you have to convince them to care about your band um and the taking back sunday tour was like awesome because uh you know like we had been fans of them 
forever. So like, it was really cool to, to be doing that. But then at the same time, you know, you get a lot of people who, uh, you know, listened to them 10 years ago and this is their first show in a while and they just want to see them play, you know? Uh, and so it seemed less like being kind of in the heart of the music scene of, of people really wanting to, you know, people who are hungry for a new band and have the energy for that. Um, and like small rooms are always nice cause you can like actually see people and, and kind of feel them there. Like I feel much more comfortable in that world than, you know, 2,500 person shows. Yeah, sure. That makes sense. Um, and what did you, um, you know, cause like you said, you, you really folk, you were able to focus on music from a, you know, full time, um, you know, perspective for a little bit. Um, did the, I guess, did the business side of the band come naturally to you? Cause you know, like you said, you are, you know, the, the, the buck stops here sort of a person because you know, it has been your project since the inception. Um, how, how is that, how have you been able to kind of juggle that? Uh, I mean, like, I like, uh, you know, numbers and like stuff like that. So like that side of things came okay to me. Um, but the like selling yourself and asking for things like all that stuff just really does not come naturally to me. Um, and like, I, I probably should have always been kind of like more vocal, um, as far as like asking for things and, and like, we've had a few different managers. We actually, I saw that you had interviewed Yvonne, uh, yeah. Ivana. Yeah. Yep. Um, she managed us when we were kind of first starting out. Um, but there was just always stuff where it's like, we weren't making any money for any of the managers. So I always like, uh, um, felt bad, like for like <laughs> right. asking them to manage us. You know, it always there was this voice in my head of like, well, like what leverage do you really have? You know, what right do you really have to be asking for any of this? Um, and then you know, not with the bond, but in other scenarios, I think sometimes it led to some kind of like unhealthy relationships uh, that were draining for me psychologically. Right. Well, it's true, especially like when you do have the wherewithal and cognizance to have the emotional connection of like, oh man, it's so cool. This person believes in our band and like wants to help us. But then, you know, the realities of just like, yeah, like I'm coming home with like $500 and like, I, I, I can't pay you at all. <laughs> and then, yeah, I know you've done a lot of work for us though. So like, I don't know where, I don't know where this sits in my head. I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. And then there'd be this fear of like, they're going to drop us and no one else is going to want to do anything with us. And especially like over the last few years when like we haven't been playing shows and we've just been like working on new music, but not putting anything out. Then for me in my head, it was like, Oh, the fact that we have like a manager and a booking agent, that's what like proves that we're a legitimate band still, you know? And like that I'm a legitimate artist versus just somebody like playing bars on the weekend. Um, but then that became like really destructive for me where then it was like, well, what if these people drop us? Then, you know, what does that make me and what does that make the band? Um, and so we actually, we like kind of split up with all those people in the last six months, um, which was like a really frightening 
thing to do, especially when we're like getting ready to put out new stuff. Um, but it's been like the biggest, uh, most beneficial thing to me, like creatively and just like psychologically where it's like, Oh no, like, you know, we don't really have any like business ties going on, but like, I'm still writing songs and we're still like putting stuff out and there's people who care about it. And so it's like, it, it feels like nobody can take that away from me now, um, which is very different than what it felt like before. Yeah. That's uh, that's honestly a really interesting thread that you pulled on that, you know, I haven't really considered as far as the, the identity of a band, especially from a music industry perspective is that, you know, the more people involved with, you know, the ecosystem of an artist, uh, the more legitimacy it lends and the more, you know, opportunities could be presented because, you know, you have more people working for you. Um, but then, yeah, like you said, the, the notion of that not being there when you've had that and kind of like how you have to wrestle with like, you know, are, are we a legitimate band or am I a legitimate artist because I don't have these things? And, uh, that's really interesting that you went through that, that, that process. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's all cause we had gone through a sort of similar thing where it's like, like we had gotten signed to doghouse records and like, every, you know, made a record with Mike Sapone who was, you know, a dream producer of mine. And like, I was totally feeling like a badass and like, my identity was so tied into the band, you know, cause that's what happens. It's like me and the band are like the same thing and the band's success means my success. But then like we put out a record, nobody cared. Uh, the label like stopped responding to my calls and things. And then I, I, you know, had a moment where I was like, Oh shit, like this, like I need to not have my identity quite so wrapped into this because like, you know, I feel like I'm personally, you know, like trash now that that happened. And so I think it's kind of, I don't know, it's important to, for me to like be examining where I'm getting my worth from and making sure that it's not like based on this stuff that's just totally like luck or out of my control or, you know, someone else's control. Yeah, no, I think that's a, I mean, I really appreciate you, you talking about this because I, when you, I mean, I think this happens with anybody, especially due to the fact that most people, like we were talking about, you know, start bands when they're 15, 16. And, you know, if they start to receive any success, it's maybe when they're, you know, 17, 18, 19, and you don't have, you know, it's real easy to buy into the ego of being up on stage and, you know, starting to think that you are, you know, cool like the, it's it's easy to do that and put, uh, completely attach your value to the value of how your product is you know commoditized and digested and that's a you know and when you have to peel that artifice away and realize like no I'm a real human beyond <laughs> the music that I create and the art that I create and sometimes that that is not an easy ask for people yeah yeah it's just a thing that you do you know like I think I think about it a lot that like, I'm really lucky that, you know, we didn't get some huge success, especially like when I was 22 years old. Cause like, you know, I would be the biggest asshole. Like I would not be a cool guy to hang out with at all. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and you know, you see that with some of these bands that even if they're making cool music, you know, you can kind of meet them and you're like, Oh yeah. Like you got success too young. Cause like you just don't know what it's like for everyone else. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I, I, 
I just think it's something that throughout you know the uh, commodification of independent music you know once that started to exist in the you know late 80s early 90s like that's something that people are are always going to grapple around with even though the subcultures that we exist in are small comparatively speaking to what you know is more important in pop culture it's still you know very culturally relevant and you can you still have to grapple with the fact that it's like you know when Green Day was playing in the late 80s and early 90s before Dookie exploded, it's not like they were being like, oh, how are we going to you know, wrestle with fame? It's like, what? That doesn't make any sense. That, we're, we're not even on that trajectory. We're not trying to be famous. Um, and, but yeah, you just have to... You, you, there's, there's no other way other than like learning as you go and then hopefully being uh, rooted enough to where you have people that will be like, yeah, you're still not cool. You're still that dumb-dumb I knew when I was, you, know, you were 14 years old or whatever. Yeah, totally. There's no way to prepare for that. And it's like this thing where you need to separate or like be conscientious of the fact that like um, the success of the band, like so much of that would just be like luck, you know? Um, And like you can know that mentally, but then when good things are happening, you forget that pretty easily, (laughs) you know, like it's easy to be like, Oh yeah, this is about me. And then the bad things start happening. And then you're like, Oh yeah, it's just luck. It's, you know, there's no, um, but you know, you got to remember that at the good times too, that it's, it's not all because you're an awesome person. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's, you know, you could easily compare it to, you know, child actors and the notion of like, what have you done for me lately? It's like, you know the bands that release one amazing record and then you know the second record people don't care about and then all of a sudden it's like like you said you're soul searching being like am i a valuable human being and it's just like well yeah because like you've put some cool stuff out in the world and so what if they didn't like your second record and it's like you have you have to be ready for that yeah totally it's gonna happen at some point yeah (laughs) yeah totally rockabilia so Rockabilia is basically your one-stop shop for all things band merch related. So, you know, sometimes when you just have that hankering for like, man, I, I need to, you know, get some, some band shirts. And a lot of times you just spend hours and hours looking on the internet trying to figure out what the best company is and be like, is this high quality stuff or am I buying a bootleg? Rockabilia is just, it just takes all the guesswork out of it because not only do they have Half a million items. That's absurd, right? They have that. Hard to find stuff. You can't get anywhere else. And they have something for literally every music fan out there. So you could be like, you know what? I love pop punk and I love some neck deep. And I also like metal. I like Ghost or I like Slayer. They offer all of that. And it's cool because like I said, none of this stuff is bootleg. They get it straight from the band. They license it from them and they sell it and they pay appropriate royalties. I can't stress that enough because... You know, if you're buying off like Amazon or some other, you know, random like Facebook link that you click on, a lot of the times you're buying bootleg merch and, uh, you know, it's a huge industry and Rockabilia says, no, 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 we're not a part of that. We love to pay bands. We love to do this above the board. So they've been around for 30 years and I remember I myself ordered some merch, I think some Mastodon merch back in, uh, it was a couple years ago, but the the customer service was great because I had a little shipping error where it's like I, uh, you know, had it shipped to the, the wrong zip code and they were able to, you know, help me out with it. And it was awesome. So please go to rockabilia.com, tell them that this show sent you and, uh, yeah, buy some merch, right? The holidays are coming. You can get all of your holiday shopping there. So rockabilia.com. And thanks to them for their support.
And so what, you know, like you said, you've been, you know, rooted in, uh, you know, uh, a day-to-day job. And uh, does, does the job that you do now have any connectivity with music at all, or what do you do? No, it's totally uh, non-music related. I do, like, data sort of stuff. Okay. Um, but it was like, uh, we moved to Seattle, and Seattle is an expensive town. So it was like, okay, I need to get a job between tours. And so... Um, I just started temping at the university of Washington up here and it was like temping in an office, total, you know, not glamorous work, like answering phones and emails and that kind of thing. Um, but then like pretty quickly it was like, they recognized that I was working hard and liked what I was doing. So they like kept me around longer than it was meant to be. And then I got to move into another position and it was like, so mind-blowing for me because with music I had been you know busting my ass working so hard all the time and it felt like nothing was happening for us um <laughs> and and then here it's like you know I'm just working on a job and it's like oh yeah you like work hard and they're like yeah that was good work and they give you money and like you know keep you around I was like this is great this is how the world should work you know <laughs> Totally, totally. It's like the uh, the the value that you create for people, and they're just like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Chris has got a good head in his shoulders, and it's like, yeah, that that is not intrinsically appreciated in the context of being creative. You know, people are just yeah, oh yeah. It's like, dude, you're putting out great work. Wait, you want me to give you five dollars? Like, no way, no way. Yeah, yeah, no way. Let me just dismiss that album with like one snarky sentence. <laughs> you know, like that's all it takes. Totally. Whereas like, you know, a person that's, uh, you know, 15 to 20 years, your elder that like you work under is like, Hey, great job there. And you're like, Oh, so that's what it's like to be like recognized and <laughs> be nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just doesn't take much, you know? Yeah. Uh, no, totally. And it, it was cool too. Cause like the guy who was supervising me, like he had, I recognized him on my first day when I came in cause he had played in a bunch of bands that I liked. Um, and so he was kind of a great mentor for me as far as like how can you um how can you do both you know um because like i had always had this fear of like getting a full-time job because that to me meant that i had failed with music you know that it was like well i do music and then once it's not working out then i gotta go get a job um but then i quickly found that it was like no like i can have a job and i can still make music and then like if i'm doing a good job they'll let me off to go tour when I want, you know, um, and they'll take me back. And like, it, it was just this like great freedom of like, Oh, I can do both these things. I don't have to be afraid of it anymore. Yeah, totally. Cause it, 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 it is a very all or nothing approach, you know? And, and, and I mean, to a certain extent, like, you know, that is needed when you are of a certain age, you know, and like the, the notion of like, you can't have a backup plan in order to be totally. successful at your own thing. And like, yes, I, I recognize that. But then as long as you have, you know, a personal drive and some, you know, backbone of work ethic, you're going to be able to live in both worlds. You know, you can, yeah, like you said, you can exist, you know, in a, a, a quote unquote normal life and then also be like, oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm able to do this, uh, this, this band stuff and release records and play shows and people are like, wait, what? I mean, and that people just can't recognize those two things existing on the same playing field. Yeah, totally. And, and even with the aspect of like, like I'm sure there's people who would look at the way that we're doing it now and be like, Oh, you know, if you guys 
were really hungrier and didn't have the jobs, then, you know, you would be taking these other tours and going and playing clubs. And then, you know, you might have a chance of making it happen. But like now at this point in my life, like it's sort of like, well, so what? Like, I don't know that that's even the life that I want of like becoming some big band. So like, yeah, I'm sure we could be out there like trying to get our big break, you know, but like, who cares? I just want to be making music and and putting it out for people. So, yeah, absolutely. No, that's a great headspace to be in because then you're at the end of the day that ultimately frees you up more to be as expressive as you would like and be as, you know, challenging as you would like from your art because there's less pressure there. You know, there isn't this, uh, you know, you're employing so many people and you have this crushing weight on like, Oh dude, my friend's a guitar tech. Like, if I release a crappy record, he doesn't have a job anymore. You know, like all of this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, burden on you, and it's just not. It just doesn't exist because you keep it insular. Totally. Yeah, I can't imagine that kind of pressure. Yeah, totally. Um, the last thing I want to hit on was the, um, you know, the, the the notion that you have. I mean, you strike me as you know. I don't know you beyond this conversation, but you've always struck me as you know a personable person and someone that is um, you know not uh, shy about sharing themselves. But at the same time, you know, you, you definitely seem like you're more comfortable playing your cards closer to your vest than um, you know a person that's just like, here's everything about me. Um, you know, even though your lyrics do tend to you know tread on the on the personal aspect of it, how have you been able to kind of navigate that? you know, the, the, the level of intimacy and being able to share a lot of aspects of yourself and then having to recognize that like, well, maybe I'm not comfortable in doing that. you know, um, I realize there isn't kind of a direct question in there, but just, uh, that, that, that notion of like sharing versus oversharing versus also being true to yourself. And, um, I don't know if that's something that's been, I I guess, thought about on your end. No, that's something I, I think about a lot. That's a good question. Um, like, I think some of it is sort of, uh, like we were talking about as far as trying to keep my personal identity separate from the band a little bit. Um, some of it is also just like, I really like, and maybe it's just because, you know, like growing up before social media was around, like, I really like it when bands have a certain mystique to them. Um, where you know you're getting the record and just like seeing the photo of them on the back and like imagining what they might be like and then like reading some interviews and that kind of thing like I'm less into this like knowing every detail of what uh, what's going on with them um, like I just think it makes it makes it easier for me to enjoy the music if I'm kind of not thinking about who they are like it's sort of like you know, if you're reading a book that's, uh, and they made a movie out of it, then like when you're reading the book, you're like picturing the actors, um, like, yeah, as, as the as characters. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's the visual and, in your head. Yeah. Like I would rather just be reading the book and not, uh, have, you know, the, the Twitter or the Instagram personality of the person, like, affecting my perception of the music. Um, so that's just kind of like me as a fan, like it, and that's like what drives a lot of the decisions that the band makes is like, well, like us as music fans, what are we into? Um, 
and then the other part is just that like uh the whole like um like cult of personality with with some of the uh what people have to do on social media for bands where it's more like selling like how funny you are in your tweets or like or you know how like cute your relationship is <laughs> you know yeah like and it just it all gets kind of gross to me where it seems like um really being like a salesman versus uh like a, a creative artist or whatever um it, I mean, it's like, not, there's there's definitely a performative nature of what yeah. what you feel like you need to do, and um, I mean, I, I know to many people, like you know, no matter how uh, you know many people follow them on social media, like there is that element of like, oh, well, I, like I, I'm going to do this because you know this is kind of what it is typically shared on these social networks or whatever. But then when you do feel like you're, uh, yeah, I guess falling into uh, like, oh, I, I got to post something. It's been like a week. It's like, wait, what? what? No, you didn't. No, you don't. Like, no, no one cares. You know, like, just, just calm down. Yeah, totally. And, and I think sometimes, like, I have that voice a little too loud in my head, where like, you know, I'll write up like a tweet or like have a photo that I'm like in the process of putting on Instagram, and then I'm just like, man, who cares about this? Like, really? Like, who, who, who is the audience for this? You know, what are you trying to get out of it? Which um, sometimes I, I try to turn that off a little bit. Cause I think it is good to be like participating in the culture and the conversation and like, um, you know, being active in society in that way. But then at the same time, like I think it appeals, um, to a lot of like bad instincts. Um, you know, like the idea, like if I post something and then like, you know, refresh, refresh, refresh to like see the likes coming in, it's like, yeah, that's not really a good thing about me. Like, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to be living like that. Right. I'm not, I'm not proud of that quality. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, everyone's doing it, but then it's like, you know what it's like on the other end when you're liking someone's photo and you're just like, you know, sitting on the toilet, like, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, you know, give that one a like. But then when you're the one posting the thing, you're like, oh, yeah, those, these people all like love what I'm doing. And it's just like no one really cares. Everyone just wants. <laughs> totally. It's a, pa- it's a passing thing. People are, it's, it's, it's tepid endorsement at the most. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then those times when you like withhold it from someone where you're like, no, I like their last photo and this one <laughs> isn't nearly as cool like it's just so stupid uh, totally the, po- the 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 politics or the, the thoughts that enter your mind where it's just like why did i even say that like that is a weird thought like that came from nowhere besides me existing in this this cultural stew that is social media yeah yeah it's all just like a like is really just saying like i see you and i acknowledge your existence in a way that like when you think of it like that it's like really pathetic to be trying to to, to get that from people you know totally but it's it's, but, it's literally like good job yeah yeah exactly like yeah you, you did something yeah, but i mean i totally participate in it and i'm not i'm not against it i'm just very conflicted oh yeah absolutely i mean i i think 
the fact that you would have that conversation in your head, you know, shows that you were aware of it. You know, I, I think if you didn't have that filter and you were, you know, just randomly shooting stuff out there, um, that's, you know, that, that's when you don't have, uh, I guess a safeguard. And that's when you start to, you know, ellipse into the performative nature of what you were talking about at the beginning. And yeah, just you're, you're a shell yourself at that point and you don't want that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like, like I follow, um, Britt Daniel from Spoon. Uh, he has an Instagram mm-hmm. and it's just like every six months there's like a photo of him sitting somewhere. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, that's awesome. That's like, like I eat it up when that happens. Cause it's like, Oh, you know, like what, what's he up to? You know, where, where is he this time? But it's just like, I don't need that every day. <laughs> you know? Totally. Totally. <laughs> that's perfect. Well, Chris, thanks for hanging out, man. This has been, uh, this has been fun and uh, wide ranging and, uh, yeah, I appreciate you, uh, pulling on some themes that don't typically get spoken about. So thanks. Oh, I appreciate you having me. This was a lot of fun. Good, man. All right. That was Chris. Thank you very much, Chris. And thank you to his publicist, Emily, who hooked this up. Um, yeah, I just always like it when people reach out to me and say, Hey, I would like this person to come on the show. And I'm like, you know what? That's a really good idea. Let's do this. Uh, next week, is uh, I'm going to butcher his last name, and I'm probably going to butcher it next week as well. Uh, Tony Retman, I think that's how you say it. Uh, he is an author. He wrote uh, a book on Straight Edge that I just recently received and read and consumed, and it was awesome. And then he also wrote a book called uh, NYHC, which clearly focuses on the New York City hardcore scene. Um, yeah, I just I I pre-ordered this book, the Straight Edge book, and I didn't even know who he was, and then he uh, just hits me back. And I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is awesome. Like, I mean, he, well, he hits me back in the, (laughs) I'm not explaining this well. I apologize. Pause. He wrote me like a week after I pre-ordered the book and I was like, oh, wow. Like, of course I'd love to talk to you. So anyways, that's what we have for next week. And, um, yeah, I will, uh, look forward to speaking to you then. Right. Okay. Please be safe. Everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.